0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Gwinnett, it's time for Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you
1: by Computer Design and Integration. Good morning and welcome to Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by CDI Managed Services and EMC. I'm Dominic Rainey and I'm your host today. We have a couple of great guests in our studio today and uh, from uh, Good Samaritan Health Center of Gwinnett, we have their Executive Director, Gregory, and I think he goes by Greg. Greg. Lang. Mm-hmm. Greg Lang. And our second guest today is Stephen Julian. Stephen is an independent financial advisor. Thank you, Greg and Stephen, for being on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, let's uh, kick it off today with uh, Greg Lang from uh, Good Samaritan Health Center of Gwinnett. Greg, uh, give us some background about uh, your center and uh, what you do there and where you're located.
0: Well, thanks for the opportunity to come in and talk about it. We're a nonprofit medical practice in Gwinnett County. We've been in business here since uh, 2005. We've uh, served nearly 50,000 people um, during that time. And um, uh, we're uh, organized as a, a faith based organization, staffed with volunteers, and we exclusively serve the poor and the uninsured in the county. We provide primary care for ages of infants to late adult life, prenatal care, women's health, pediatric care, and uh, generally just take care of uh, very sick people who don't have access to traditional health care like an insured person would.
1: So it's really a comprehensive, complete program of, of health care. As
0: much as we can make it, we intend to be a general doctor's office, a primary care clinic. Um, but when you open your doors to serve people that have no access to anything else, you get all kinds of uh, uh, needs coming to you. So even though we're a, a health center, um, we um, also do counseling and we help people access other resources. Um, we have a, a group that comes in and helps us enroll people in different um, welfare programs that they're eligible for so that they can get food stamps and housing support and things like that. Um, but we serve a very poor group of people. Our average patient earns under $11,000 a year. Um, and most of them have no education or only a high school education, and they tend to be day laborers or uh, low-wage earners. Um, so when you're reaching out to serve that population, you sometimes get more than what you ask for.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Greg, what's it, what's it mean to be a Christian medical
0: ministry? Well, we are faith-based, um, and uh, that's most demonstrated by the people that we hire. We only hire Christian staff. Uh, we run the organization. Uh, I laugh and say it's really more of a church than a health center. We open the day with prayer. We give away Bibles for people that don't have one. We offer to pray for you in the exam room if you need that. The counseling that we provide is all faith-based driven. Um, But we serve the world. I I, uh, just discovered yesterday by doing a quick uh, sampling of 500 patient records and counted. We uh, counted 52 different countries that are represented in our organization so reaching that far around the world, we see Muslims, Hindu, um, Buddhist, and non-believers in the medical practice, and um, so we serve everybody. Um, but we do all of it, um, saying that the purpose of this ministry is to bring glory to God and show that being, you know, um, someone that believes in the Christian faith would motivate you to be a giver, and, and that's how we draw volunteers in. We look for people that have a heart to serve and a heart to give. And we ask them to come in and, and worship with us by being a health care practitioner, taking care of folks that ordinarily wouldn't be able to go to a doctor.
1: Greg, could you, could you elaborate on the uh, what it takes to operate a medical practice as a not-for-profit
0: organization? Well, with the um, level of income that I just mentioned, less than $11,000, you know, people very often don't have discretionary income. They struggle to get by week to week. In fact, we see um, a dip in our appointments as you enter uh, the end of the month, the last week of the month, because people are saving their dollars to be able to make their rent payment. Um, so we, we charge very, very low fees, and uh, we have to support the organization through the contributions of um, donors that would help us fulfill our mission. Um, our average reimbursement is $43. That's again you know, what the patient would pay and then we raise about $50 per appointment through the community um, to help provide that service. We do some free care uh, for people that are in dire straits, but um, most people do pay a little bit. They have you know some skin in the game, if you will. Um, uh, but we have to keep the fees low, and we have to do a lot of things that uh, we weren't prepared for, uh, because if we don't, then this individual ends up going to the emergency room That costs the hospital system money. The county um, taxpayers that support that hospital, it costs them money. And then it, it puts people in financial debt. So we try to help them avoid that by doing as much as we can inside. So volunteer help is important. Donations are important. Companies that can um, give us um, supplies or um, technical help, that's all important because it allows us to keep our fees as low as possible.
1: I like the idea that you're buffering, kind of buffering, uh, you know, the emergency room type thing. You hear a lot of, you know, just, uh, you know, in conversation complaints about, you know, people getting free health care when I have to pay for mine. And they Mm -hmm. go to an emergency room and they don't get turned down. But you guys are serving a great uh, function and intermediary. You know, um,
0: there's, a, there's actually a law out there that requires the hospitals to serve people who show up either in labor or in a life-threatening scenario, whether they are insured or even um, if they're an uh, illegal immigrant or not, it doesn't matter. You cannot turn a dying person away, and you cannot turn a mother in delivery away. Um, so hospitals, um, you know, have served that population, but over time, it's just kind of grown to include everybody who wanted to go to see a doctor without paying anything. And, um, one of the phenomena that we're witnessing now as a result of some of the changes in the healthcare law is that the hospitals are starting to go back to the, uh, interpretation of the law. And that is that it has to be life threatening or the mother has to be in delivery. So other people that might've used the emergency room in the past, are finding it more difficult to do that now, so we we will see our activities increase, I think, significantly for that reason.
1: Well, certainly an, uh, an important factor in, uh, to your to your organization and what you're offering are uh, is a medical staff. Uh, you know, are, are, is your medical staff uh, vo- are that made up of volunteers or you know?
0: We have um, three licensed people that are employees. I have a halftime doctor that's just a very um, generous man. He's come out of retirement to help us um, run the organization. And then I have one and a half uh, um, licensed nurses. Uh, They're called their master's level nurses, nurse practitioners that help us. And then everyone else are uh, volunteers. We have uh, 22 regular licensed volunteers that will come into the practice. Some come twice a week, some come once a quarter, but their combination uh, allows me to have five or six licensed people in the building every day. And we also take students. We have agreements with a, a number of the teaching, um, teaching colleges um, in the area. And we get their physician assistant, uh, fourth-year medical student, nurse practitioner students to come in um, when uh, they need a clinical experience. And we expose them to working with underserved populations and minority populations and medically challenged populations. So we um, are able to see about 50 people a day through that combination of learners, volunteers, and my small number of staff.
1: Oh, that's a great number of people. I, I had no idea. That's we, pro- a lot of service.
0: we provided ten thousand one hundred twenty-one appointments last year.
1: Congratulations! That's awesome. Wow. Um, you know, has the has the economy affected you guys? Uh, you know, uh, you know, the last five years, a lot of businesses. You know, it's been very challenging. Sure, and then being sure. in a you know ministry kind of. Environment. It,
0: it <clears throat> pardon me. It, it has. We um, uh, see our patients struggle to make their twenty five dollar payment or their fifty dollar payment, whatever the case may be. And uh, sometimes we have to step in using a scholarship fund to uh, help them make that payment. Our unemployment rate in the practice is forty eight percent. So I, um, you know, almost half of the people that come there don't have a steady source of income. Um, and, you know, if you are a day laborer or an unskilled uh, worker, you have uh, no uh, formal education, it's hard to find a job in a difficult economy. Um, but we also saw it affect our donations, particularly in the period of um, 08 through 10. Um, there was a significant slowdown um, in the support that we received from um, donors. And while that has uh, grown back to some extent, it, it's still lagging a little bit. And we can tell that where people might have in the past given regularly monthly or quarterly that now are giving sporadically. Um, So that's why I'm grateful for this chance. It's just important for us to keep getting the message out and let people know that we're there and we need their help to continue to do what we do. We're
1: talking with Greg Lang. He's the uh, executive director at uh, good Samaritan health center of Gwinnett. So Greg, uh, how's Obamacare going to impact your ministry and uh, your medical organization?
0: Well, I, I alluded to Obamacare just a minute ago when I said changes in the health care law. Um, one of the things that um, uh, our government did for us when they imposed this requirement on the hospitals is that they did have a budget uh, that would reimburse hospitals for that care that they were not compensated for. And um, that um, was called a, um, a disproportionate share fund. So if a hospital in a remote area it had an unskilled labor population and high unemployment saw a lot of people that couldn't pay, then the government would reimburse them their costs. Um, Well, that's the very money that is now being used to fund the subsidies that individuals get to pay their premiums. It no longer goes to the hospital, it goes um, to the individual. So what we're going to see over time is that hospitals are not going to receive that um, federal grant or that federal subsidy that enable them to see somebody other than those that were dying or delivering a baby Um, and that's why the front doors are closing a little bit how do you Um, police that and um, you know so those that's the population that's going to come see us Mm. now the individuals that are eligible for subsidies they don't all take accept them Um, there was a report recently that 20 percent of the people that Signed up for the Obamacare did not make their January premium payment, so even though they applied to receive the coverage um, selected a health plan, they didn't pay for it, so they remain uninsured. so if one out of five people you know fall out of um, the plan uh, we're we're gonna see that the hope for eliminating um, the ranks of the uninsured is really a false hope, um, and the challenge for the hospital is just going to increase because there 's no discussion about how to go back and backfill that gap left in the budget by closing the door on those uh, disproportionate share funds.
1: Tell me what your uh, plans are for i guess you 're branching out in the uh, dental world are you uh, planning on um, implementing yeah that 's our
0: um, our next big adventure. <laughs> Gwinnett County does not have a full-time charity dental practice. Um, People that need dental care do come to us today um, and ask us to help them, and really all we can provide is pain relief and then a referral to a charity dentistry, either in Cobb County or in Atlanta. The waits there could be two to four months long, depending on why you need to see the dentist. Um Gwinnett County has an excellent health care system. Uh, we have been focused on making it known to the public that you don't have to go into Atlanta or inside the perimeter to get quality care. You can get that here in Gwinnett County. And um, that's been demonstrated a number of different ways, the Heart Center opening uh, being an example of that. Well, I think that the message should be that, you know, we, we have excellent health care for everybody that needs it not just for those that are wealthy or have insurance. Uh, So I would like for us to um, offer a dental clinic so we can take care of our residents instead of taking the poor and being okay, continuing to send the poor uh, into the perimeter or um, uh, into uh, distant counties. We um, have a number of uh, dentists on our board that are helping us recruit volunteer dentists. We need more. And uh, we certainly need contributions to fund that. Dental equipment is far more expensive than medical equipment. Um, And, um, of course, the space is expensive. We don't have the space to do that in our current building, so we need to relocate in order to accommodate a dental practice and as well as to park cars. I mentioned how many patients we see. It's about 50 a day. We have 27 parking spaces, um, and there's 75 to 80 people a day that come to the building. So it, it's it's uh, <laughs> a bit of a challenge to get in and out of our lot.
1: Yeah, it's uh, wish you the best there. Parking's a premium anywhere in Atlanta.
0: It is. Thanks.
1: Hey, uh, Greg, uh, you know there's a lot of anytime you have a program like you're describing. There's a, always a lot of you know. Do I qualify? There's a lot of questions. That go along with it. Um, and I was looking at your website. Uh, there's a, you, you list, uh, you have a section called Facts, and there's just a, a litany of, of questions that uh, the average person's going to want to know about your program, and and would you like to elaborate on that a little bit, how you make that very clear and how you state that out?
0: Well, we um, we do have a website that we uh, update as often as possible. You can sign up for our newsletter through the website. We also have a Twitter and Facebook account where we keep current information out there. Um, but, um, our, uh, requirements for being eligible for service, we try to keep those as minimum as possible as, as a, a Christian organization, our desire is to be in touch with as many people as possible and bring them into the church rather than turn them away. Uh, so the, the requirements are fairly simple. Um, the most important one is that you be uninsured If someone does have insurance. We would rather not serve you because you do have options elsewhere. Uh, but if you don't have insurance, then the um, range of options are narrow. Um, so we, we uh, serve the uninsured. We ask you to provide some kind of identification. We do not care where that originates from, so it doesn't have to be a U.S. issue. And uh, we ask for um, proof of income. There's not an income cap um, on our service, so you, you could be making $50,000 and still get care with us if you're uninsured. But we'd like to know what your ability to pay is before we start offering discounts because i just trying to be a good steward to our donors. I don't like to ask donors to help me subsidize somebody that can pay but just wants um, to uh, get it as inexpensively as possible.
1: Uh, so how can people learn more about, you know, uh, your needs, their present needs, and, and uh, the plans for the future for your organization?
0: Um, you can like our uh, Facebook page Good yes. Sam Gwinnett um, you can follow us on um, Twitter again Good Sam Gwinnett um, our uh, website is org, and, and we are constantly putting our needs there um, as well as sending out um, newsletters um, and at the uh, the risk of being too bold. I mean, what we need the most right now, you know, is money. Uh, We have a strong desire to move to another location, to open the dental practice, to provide safe parking. Um, Real estate in Gwinnett County is not inexpensive. Um, We're looking at needing to raise several million dollars and uh, uh, would love for, you know, companies that are interested in Um, showing their philanthropy to to the community to step up for us, churches that want to get involved, and certainly individuals that um, have uh, resources they'd like to share. We'd love to be able to talk to them and show them around.
1: Well, Greg, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what it's like to be the executive director of an organization like that. (laughs) What do you like most about uh, what you do? Uh,
0: What do I like most about it? You know, it really is, um, for me, it's a form of discipleship. You know, I, I... I attend to church, I sit in the pew, I listen, um, I read my Bible sometimes. Um, but, um, w- you know, those activities aren't feet on the ground and, and hands on the shoulders of, um, other people serving, whether it be for us or some other, um, uh, nonprofit organization is a very powerful way to not only demonstrate your faith, but realize it for yourself Um, And uh, what I like most about what I do is just that day-to-day opportunity to be with people, love on them, receive them unconditionally, do our best to take care of them. And then when they ask me, why do you do this? Or how can you be happy every day? Or where do you find the strength, you know, to show up and do this 11 hours a day? You know, there's always one answer. (laughs) Oh, Jesus gave me that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, being able to talk about that and uh, not have that discouraged in the workplace is uh, its a real pleasure.
1: So, uh, again, what's the best way to reach you and, uh, and uh, find out more about your organization? And, uh, you know, if people want to be volunteers, what do they do? How do they get in touch with you?
0: You can um, go to our website, which is uh, www.goodsamgwinnett.org. And um, my email address, our phone numbers are there, as well as links to uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or sign up for our newsletter. And if you're interested in volunteering, um, there are tabs um, there that will take you to being a donor or to be a student or a volunteer. And um, there are forms that one can print from that website that you just fax or mail to me, and then I'll call you in and show you around and figure out how we can work together.
1: Greg Lang, Executive Director at Good Samaritan Health Center of Gwinnett. Thank you, Greg. We appreciate your Thank you very much.
0: Uh,
1: you're listening to Silverlining in the Cloud, brought to you by CDI Managed Services and EMC. Next up today, we have Stephen Julian. Stephen is an independent financial advisor. Stephen, uh, welcome to the show and tell us about your advisory practice and uh,
2: what you do for your clients. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me, uh, Dominic. Glad to be here. Um, I am a, I am an independent financial advisor. Um, my practice is real simple. Um, I sit down with individuals. Uh, I also sit down with uh, employers and companies um, and try to help people develop their own financial plan. Um, one of the things I like to say is that every single person alive today has a financial plan. They may not know it, um, but they do. They are executing some type of financial plan. And my job is to... Build a relationship with my clients, uh, hopefully over a very long period of time, where I help them uh, identify their issues, uh, talk about their goals, and I think the most important part is walk with them step-by-step of their financial journey to achieve those goals. Uh, A lot of times there are short-term goals, uh, there are also long-term goals, and uh, most of the time, and one of the things that makes my job the most exciting is those goals constantly change. Um, And so I just help build a relationship with them and help them achieve those goals. You know, why? Why? Uh, how did you get started in, in investments? Why investments? Why? <laughs> um, well, my educational background uh, is from Georgia Tech, which has a great investment program. Um, actually, that's a satirical joke. Um, I, I started uh, getting interested in investments back in high school. Uh, I actually give some credit to Junior Achievement. Um, they did a stock picking program, uh, and back then it was – on our monochrome computers and we got a wall street journal and we circled our little quotes and and got interested in it um so i i first started getting interested in in that back then in high school as i aged um i realized i was a little strange because while everybody else was reading novels Um, I was reading uh, books by Peter Lynch, uh, the Fidelity Magellan fund manager. I was reading books by William J. O'Neill, who started Investor's Business Daily, uh, I think the best investment newspaper out there. Uh, Then I uh, started reading a book by a a guy named uh, James Kramer, called Confessions of a Wall Street Addict, and then I saw him on CNBC, and he was yelling, buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. So I was very interested in the topic and kind of um, did a lot of self-study and self-teaching. Um, I always claim the quote of Peter Lynch that he said that uh, history majors make the best investors because they recognize that history tends to repeat itself in the financial markets. Uh, and I was a history major at tech, which is another story entirely because that's a satirical <laughs> joke in and of itself. Um, my... my. Uh, The other side of that question is how I ended up doing it professionally. Um, My first career was uh, as a counselor. Uh, For the most part, I was actually a youth pastor um, uh, for 10 years and so did a lot of counseling uh, of teenagers. And as that career was winding down, uh, I I found an opportunity to get involved in this new career, um, which I tell people, there must be something trustworthy about me or I've got everybody fooled because people have trusted me with their kids and their money. Um, so, I was kind of looking for a transition and and found an opportunity to get involved professionally in financial advising, uh, and so i 've been doing that for about six years now great stephen uh, you know everybody 's got to get started
1: sometime somehow somewhere uh, what should the uh, average individual investor start with uh, you know owning with their investment
2: so um as I said, every single person uh, has a financial plan and, and maybe it 's a, a a little bit of divine providence that I'm sitting here next to Greg because his his uh, what he does, his ministry works with people who have so few resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and even those people have some kind of financial plan. I, I think everyone can work to improve their financial standing. That doesn't mean everyone is going to retire with the beach house, um, but they can still do take some good steps and do some good things to improve their their financial lot in life. Um no matter where you are financially, I think the first and most important thing uh, is to try to do everything you can with your current budget to be putting some amount of money aside for future emergencies. The number one derailment of anyone's financial plan is a financial emergency that they don't have the funds to to deal with. Um, about 90%, and of course, 72% of statistics are made up, so you're just going to have to take my word for it, but a lot of people believe that somewhere around 90% of, of financial emergencies are usually the sum of about $2,500 or less. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I'm making $11,000 a year, $2,500 is a significant amount of money, but if I'm making $50,000 a year, $2,500 is about 5% of my, of my annual salary. And yet, most people have less than a thousand dollars in emergency funds. So, what happens when that when that financial emergency happens? We don't have the money. Let's put it on the credit card. Well, the average credit card interest rate is about eighteen percent. I when I go into classrooms and I get to talk with uh, kids, I always love to do the uh, do the numbers of saying the average in, uh, interest interest rate on a credit card is 18%. The average uh, credit card balance of the average household is somewhere between eight dollars and $10,000. $10,000 credit card debt at 18% interest is $1,800 a year. That's $150 a month. So $150 is coming out of your budget before you've even started paying any bills just on credit card interest. If instead I was putting that $150 aside... I'd have $1,800 at the end of a year for an emergency fund. So it's, it's, you know, the first part of a financial plan is to have money to handle emergencies. Unfortunately, I've probably thrown out too many numbers and everybody's confused now, but have money to, to deal with an emergency. The second part of anyone's financial plan, I think, is do they have a plan to own free and clear wherever they live? Because if you own the dirt you live on, that can reduce your expenses by about 25%. Um, at some point in your life. That's a great... I, I, I can't give you a lot of investments that are going to do better than keeping 25% of your budget in your pocket at some point in the future. And it's not that complicated to to have a plan to even if you just plan to make the payments and add 50 bucks a month you know what's your financial plan to own the dirt you live on right now or own the dirt that you're going to live on in the future once you start with those two things then you can start to say okay now let's create other financial plans to to do two major investment goals one is to replace your current income with investment income and then the last part is to grow your assets to either achieve some of your long-term financial goals or there's really only three things we can do with money: spend it, save it, or give it away. Let's start saving up our money to do other things for other people, such as help a, an organization like Good Samaritan Healthcare or a health center.
1: We're listening to Stephen Julian, and it sounds like a subject matter expert to me in the area of uh, financial advising. So, Stephen, uh, what's uh, what's the biggest issue, or you know? In the my in your mind, uh, what what you see people in their financial planning today? What is what's the biggest
2: concern or issue that they have to deal with? When I sit down with people, um, you know, I, I said that everybody has a financial plan. Usually, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is is they start talking about their issues. So, issues are part of your financial plan, and and how are you going to deal with those issues? Um, the biggest issues I see normally center around questions. Um, Am I going to have enough for retirement is one of the big questions. How do I get my plan changed today so that I can actually start to achieve some of my financial goals? So so a lot of times the issues are either current, meaning my budget is just not working right now. What can I do to improve my budget today? Um, Another issue is I see no way to achieve any of the goals that I have for the future. So what do I need to do today? to to change so that I can start achieving some of those goals. Um, So those are kind of the big 50,000-foot view. But but, uh, honestly, Dominic, I think the number one thing that I get is people are incredibly confused about finances. And they're... Incredibly confused about their investments.
1: Is the feeling I don't? Do I have enough money
2: to even start a financial plan? Yeah, I think right. that's that's one of the big things, and that's why I like to start with the concept of budget, and I start with the concept of, of let's get some of those things done. But honestly, one of the biggest one of the biggest questions I'll get when I sit down with somebody is they'll say, you know, I've got this stuff. I've got a four hundred one k. I've I've got an IRA for my old job. I've I inherited some money from my parents. I, so so there is some some stuff there, but what I get is I have no idea what I've got. I have no idea why I've got it. I sat down with somebody and they said I should do this, and I haven't heard from them. But maybe once a year, and the only advice I ever get from them is don't worry. It's it's all okay, and. I think the average person deserves a lot more than that. Uh, I think the average person deserves to have all of their questions answered. I think the average person deserves to, if they want, be educated on what the different types of investments are and what are your investments doing and what do they cost and and why do why am I going to sit here and tell you what you should do with your money? what's my reasoning uh and 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 more important than that. I'm going to be monitoring and I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to be monitoring because I'm going to keep in touch with you and tell you what's been happening and why. Um, I, that, so I, I think the biggest issue, apart from the 50,000 foot view of, you know, do I have enough and, and how do I get my money working better? I think the biggest question I get is I just don't understand the advice I've been given in the past.
1: Stephen bring some insight to uh, the financial markets and what you see in store for us for the future <laughs> since you're in this world of finance
2: sure um, I always love to quote uh, uh, J P Morgan uh, I because I can make one prediction about the financial markets I predict fluctuation um, the anyone who tells you that they've got it all figured out uh, is and they know exactly what's going to happen um, it, is lying to you and you should run from them quickly. Now, I have opinions and I'm not allowed to share opinions on on the air like this because my opinion now, right, compliance issues and my opinion now, you have to give me the right as your advisor to change my opinion. I have my opinion of what I think might happen in the stock market in the next few months and what I think might happen in the bond market. But you also have to allow me to change my opinion because the one thing I can guarantee is that the markets are going to fluctuate. And we should be ready for that, and we should have a plan for that. So let me put it this way. Most times when people sit down with a financial advisor, they go through all of this analysis, and they put their money in an investment, and the advisor goes, there you go, good, I put you in these investments, we'll talk in six months or a year. And then when they sit down in six months or a year, most of the time, A a lot of advisors just say, yeah, everything looks great. Let's keep it exactly the same. Well, if the markets constantly change, wouldn't it make sense that we might want to react to that a little bit, react somewhat to what's been happening and react somewhat to what we think might, be happening in the future, so I always tell people it's not it's not plan and hold. It's plan and be willing to adjust, at least with part of our money, because that's how I believe you get superior results. So, so my prediction is for fluctuation, and my and my uh, advice is to plan for that. Plan for fluctuation. It's not it's not a bad word. Are there some good sources for that people can use for their financial education? You mean apart from talking to me and your crystal <laughs> and your crystal ball? <laughs> um, I have no crystal ball. Um, so uh, I, there are there are actually some tremendous financial resources out there, um, and, and I, I need to give a little bit of a caveat. Um, any source that's out there, um, whatever source you look at, they are all trying to sell you something, and that's not just financial services that's, I always laugh at, you know, oh, this is free. Well, there is nothing free. Anything that someone gives me for free, they're wanting to follow up and say, okay, now, unless they're a ministry, unless they're a nonprofit ministry, anything that I get for free, there's usually something else after. Now that you've enjoyed that, let me tell you what we're really going to offer you. This is the offer for you to make, right? So in financial services, um, it's the same way because uh... the sources that i'm about to talk to just make sure you understand why they're giving you that source usually they want you to do something else and it might be to subscribe to the source but it might be something else behind it so having said that as my little caveat emptor um... i would say this first of all uh, a lot of people talk about the wall street journal fantastic publication my favorite is a a, a lesser-known newspaper called the investors business daily um... Uh, it is a fantastic source. The, the editor of that, the guy who started that, also wrote a fantastic book on investing about 25 years ago called, it's the corniest title of a book ever, but it's called How to Make Money in the Stock Market. The guy's name was William J. O'Neill. Um, that was the one book that took everything that I had been reading and put it into a language that I could understand and explained why investments go up and down in value, especially stocks. And I went, that makes the most sense. And rather than all this gobbledygook, it really just said, here's really what's happening. And I have found that theory to be true in past history, and, and I believe it will be true in future history. So those are two good sources. Um, I believe anything written by Peter Lynch, although it's a little bit dated because he's retired, he wrote One Up on Wall Street, and Beating the Street uh, is fantastic. And um, and here again, I go back to my my little premise, you know, what are they trying to sell you? You know, a lot of people uh, kind of poo-poo Jim Cramer on CNBC. Um, the guy's on an hour a day every day on just his own show, and he's on other shows. So, And and this is an industry where you're, if you're wrong just a third of the time, you're one of the smartest people in the room. So a lot of people kind of diss Jim Cramer and say, well, you know, he, he's... Let me show you where he was wrong. Well, of course he's wrong. It's an industry that predicts fluctuation. Hmm. But he is one of the best sources of, uh, I think, of education um, on the air. Um, he really explains, here's what I look for in a stock. He really explains, back when I ran my hedge fund, here's what I was doing. Hmm. Here's why I like this stock. And he, and, and he also throws out ideas of fundamental analysis as well as technical analysis. And I'm probably getting a little bit in the weeds And he here. does it
1: in a nice, low-key manner. <laughs>
2: well, He's entertaining. He he is entertaining. There's no question about that. My kids stopped watching him because he stopped throwing his chair against the wall. Um, that was their favorite part. Back in the old days, he would every before the lightning round, he would throw his chair against the wall. So I, those those are some good sources.
1: Stephen Julian, your independent financial advisor. S- Stephen, uh, you mentioned 401k and IRA, Roth IRA. Uh, could you touch on that subject? Which is better at
2: what point in time? How- sure. Um, one of the first things I always, um, I always tell people is we want to be careful and, and make the first clear distinction. And if someone's listening and they say, well, I knew that, forgive me. I've sat with a few people who, who haven't even been explained this distinction. The thing you talked about, 401K, traditional IRA, Roth IRA, those are accounts. Um, I, I always tell people there is a difference between the account you set up and then the investments that you buy inside of the accounts. Um, No matter what account I'm about to talk to, you can set that account up to invest in almost any type of investment you want. Okay, Because sometimes people will say, you know, should I invest in a Roth IRA or a 401k? And I start talking to them and realize they're talking about investments. You can make any investments in any account. But let's talk about the accounts real quick. Okay. Um, the 401k is an is a, uh, investment account that is almost always offered by an employer. Now, some people might say, well, I am the employer. I have my own business. You can do a 401k inside your own business. Or if you work for someone else, they can set up a 401k. Um, we, we, again, we had, um, Greg here who's with a nonprofit, nonprofit offers 403Bs. So a 401k allows you to take money directly out of your salary and invest it in a 401k plan and grow tax deferred. When you go to pull it out after age 59 and a half, it will be taxed at that point in time. The benefit to me today is my taxable salary is reduced. So if I pay 20% in taxes and I take $10,000 of my salary and put it into a 401k, I've just put $2,000 back in my pocket. Um, If my employer does not offer a 401k, I can open up what's called a traditional IRA. Almost a similar concept. The amount of money that I put into my own IRA, I get to take as a tax deduction. So you are allowed to put in up to $5,500 into an IRA. Uh, If I do that, I get a $5,500 tax deduction. It will save me the taxes I would pay on that money. Um, The only thing I can't do is do both. If my employer offers a 401k, I'm not allowed to do a traditional IRA. So that's the tax benefit today. The Roth IRA gives you the tax benefit in the future. If I put my money into a Roth IRA today, I have to pay taxes on it. But the difference is when I go to pull it out in retirement at age 59 and a half, I get to pull it out completely tax free. So if I put my money in today and it grows over time, and let's say I double it or triple it over 10, 20 years, now when I go to pull that money out, I've got a lot more money and I don't have to pay any taxes on it. The question I always get is which one should I do? Um, the simple answer to start with is boy, if you can find a way to do both that's really good because you'll have some money that's tax free in retirement that 's always a good thing um, but don't give up the benefit of paying less taxes today that's that's always a good thing too how'd I do is that good it's uh pretty informative yeah well, thank you yeah it's thank very you good. If right. you got confused, just play it back later
1: and <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely going to do that <laughs> so stephen uh, what, what what makes you different better what, Why should people contact you what's What's your world of uh finding new talent and uh you know what what
2: makes me different we don't have enough time for. <laughs> um I so one of the things I think some of it is because of my background uh working with teenagers, uh I don't take myself too seriously. And I work in an industry that I think this is just my opinion, I think it takes itself a little too seriously. Um People's money is very important, but there is only three things we can do with money, spend it, save it, and share it, and we can't take it with us. So money is a very, very important topic, and so when I say I don't take myself too seriously, I do take my job seriously, and I do take working with people seriously, and I do take their money very seriously, but underlying it all you know, Greg kind of talked about stewardship. I, I bring that up with everybody, no matter whatever their religious background is or where they stand. Um, stewardship resonates with a lot of people. Hey, I'm, I'm a good steward. When I sit with clients, I hear this line a lot. I heard this line from a client. I've repeated it to a lot of people, and they say, "Yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way, but yeah, that's my that's my opinion." Most people, their perfect financial plan is to spend their last ten dollars with their last ten minutes on earth, buying a good beer and enjoying it with a friend. That's the perfect financial plan. The problem is we don't know when that day is going to happen, right? So my job is to kind of help them get to that point at least. And if there's anything more than that, then we're going to have a good strategy for what happens after you're gone because you're not going to take it with you. So, um, so I think what makes me a little different is I don't take myself too seriously, but I take my job very seriously. And then the last thing I would say is um, I, I, I really, really relish the word relationships. Um, It it really is all about relationships. And those relationships are more than just a performance chart report that I sit down and go over with you in six months. The relationship is very much asking good questions, listening to your answers, um, trying to help you uh, achieve those goals, and being very honest with you. Um, when a client sits down and says, I, I want my mountain house retirement, and, and, and I want to retire on the beach and sit on the back porch of my deck and enjoy a margarita, and I'm going to put $50 a month into my IRA. Well, guess what? You aren't achieving that goal. You aren't. I'm sorry. Um, I, maybe I can, we can work and get you so that you're not a greeter at Walmart unless you want to be, but that's not, you know, 50 bucks a month isn't going to do it if that's what you want to achieve. So just being honest with people and giving them honest answers
1: you know something that i've also experienced uh, with my own daughter uh, she's uh, you know sometimes uh, you know working from a distance do you advise people to work at a distance with their uh, with their advisor you know or versus having someone local does when that you, make
2: a difference um that's a good question um i okay so after i just said all People that about, stay in
1: touch today you know social media absolutely and and that, and absolutely all of a sudden you hear that my friend i was with the friend in college is now a financial advisor but he lives in uh and i
2: think Washington. you can i i think you can i think having an advisor i have clients in montana and south carolina and florida i have clients at different places i think the relationship is the most important thing and we can now have relationships at a distance um I don't know if I would say it's impo- – I would not say it's important. I would say it's possible. Um, I, I think um, I'm a very big face-to-face person. I'm a very big sit-down with as many clients as I can as often as I can. Um, but there's only so many hours in the day. Um, so so kind of how do you achieve that? I do keep in contact a lot with my clients with phone calls in between and emails to send information out. Um, I, I, I guess one thing I want to say is, you know, you, you kind of asked me what makes me different Um, there are a lot of good financial advisors out there. There are a lot of good people doing what I do. So I'm not, you know, totally unique in what I do. I I always tell people, so let's go back to your question about kind of from a distance. I think the most important thing is you need to work with someone that you're comfortable with. With me not taking myself too seriously, that might make people uncomfortable. Then don't work with me. But the clients who I work with appreciate the fact that Sometimes I laugh at myself and sometimes we tell a good joke and, and sometimes we laugh about the fluctuation in the market and then say, okay, what are we going to do about it? So, um, and, and my clients appreciate the extra contact that they get. Some clients don't want that. Let me just put it in there and don't bother me. Just, bo- just call me when there's something worth talking about. So f- I, I would say you find somebody that you're comfortable with and find somebody that you think is going to help you achieve your, your goals. I think the most important thing is find somebody that's truly listening to you. So it's a great segue. How did they find you, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> well, given the fact that I'm very big on relationships, rather than give a website or an email or something like that, what I'd like to do is just give my personal cell phone number. And that way it, it can start with a conversation. Because I always tell people, nine nine out of ten of my clients started with me by uh, by asking me a question. Hey, I got a quick question. Hey, I... I I don't understand this, and and my person's not answering it, or I'm looking for somebody to answer this question. So, the best way to get in contact with me is, is my cell number is 678 499 6933. And what I can promise is if anybody calls that number, let's just have a conversation. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee or ask your question over the phone. I'll do my best to answer the question. And even if you don't become my client, at least you've gotten your questions answered, because that's where it always starts. Hey, what do I need to do about XYZ? Thank you,
1: Stephen. Great information. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, where we talk business to business. Thank you to our guests today, Greg Lang with Good Samaritan Healthcare Center of Gwinnett, and Stephen Julian, uh, an independent financial advisor. We appreciate you both for what you bring to our local business community and for being on the show. I'm Dominic Rainey with CDI Managed Services, where we work with companies and individuals to provide outsource IT services and support for their IT infrastructure and cloud solutions. To listen to this show and other Silver Lining in the Cloud broadcasts, go to silverlining.businessradiox.com. And until next time, remember, when it comes to outsourcing your IT support and migrating your company into the cloud, CDI Managed Services is your silver lining in the cloud.